Well, as I said, it'd be really helpful to have your Bibles open or your Bible app ready. So James chapter 3. There's also an outline in the back of the news. So you'll see we're up to week five in our James series. There's some points there, some translation points in Korean and Dinka as well, if that's of help to you. Uh, please make use of that. But right now, let's ask for the ultimate help. Gracious God, we thank you so much that in your extraordinary kindness and grace, you have entrusted us with the great power of the tongue. And so, Lord, we pray, please, that you would help us, that in the power of your Spirit, that all of our words, the words of our mouths, and the meditations of our hearts may be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and Redeemer. Amen. When I was at uni, I was in the fourth year studying psychology, I'd been placed in a group to work on a project. One day we had all planned to meet, I was running quite a few minutes late, and as I ran up the stairs and burst in uh, the door, when I finally arrived, I discovered that everyone in my group was already assembled at the end of the table, already engaged in lively discussion, not about the impending essay, but excited chatter about the latest series of Star Trek. Now, I have to admit, well-armed with a total of 10 minutes of viewing time of Star Trek in my entire life, and seemingly unfazed by the deficit in relational capital I now had due to my tardiness, I decided that in that moment, with one late foot in the door, the best possible thing that I could do was offer a mini review. So with one late foot in the door, that's exactly what I did. Exclaiming, asserting my opinion, isn't it terrible? And the lead actor in particular is really bad. Everyone in the room went totally silent. They stopped speaking, four pairs of eyes locked on to me in absolute astonishment. Only for the silence to be broken when one girl sitting squarely in front of me calmly responds, that's my mum. Now, if you're wondering, is it possible to recover from that moment? It's not. And as I sat down at that table, now to work with this group for the rest of the year, my initial reflection, other than being deeply embarrassed and disappointed with my words, was, how unlucky was that? I mean, what are the odds? What is the probability that the daughter of the lead actor who lives in LA would be in my postgraduate working group in Brisbane on that day discussing that show in the time window when I happened to be running late and then burst through the door. What's the probability? Well, I can tell you because I was focusing on statistics and I calculated the uh, probability. It's about 0%. <laughs> but actually, that's not right. See, I would so love to tell you that that is the only time that I've used words unwisely. But that would not be true. 
I wasn't unlucky. Because the probability of what really happened there that day, of doing harm with my words, armed with a pattern of speaking unwisely, it wasn't 0%, it was 100%. It was inevitable. The average person speaks thousands of words a day, let alone that which we type, we text, or we tweet. And my hunch is that if I asked you, when was the very first time that you were made to feel less than, or that you made someone feel less than, it was likely from the use of words. Words spoken, or words that should have been said, but were left unsaid. Unwise words harm others and harm our gospel witness. That's likely what is in part behind James's warning right up front in chapter 3 to teachers. So if you'd have a look with me, James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. In the setting of the first century, the role of teacher was really greatly coveted. There was esteem and honour attributed to those who taught. And for the first Christian teachers, before much of Jesus' words were written down, the importance especially of verbally communicating Jesus' life, death, resurrection and teaching with words was highly dependent, not only on the quality of the, the content that would be without omission or exaggeration, but also was dependent upon the quality of the way in which the teacher lived and spoke. So it's no wonder that James issues this decree. Teachers, those who've been entrusted with a platform that is a, a space and a forum to speak, and also have been trusted with a task that is a message to proclaim, watch out. Not only do your words need to reflect accurately the gospel, but the way that you use your words better not become a stumbling block, had better not discredit the gospel. Now, I'm sure we know that to be true. We've all likely experienced in some form the glaring hypocrisy that when someone with authority uses their speech to wound and war, it undermines the credibility of what they preach. James says, watch out. You will be judged more strictly. And before you sort of take a sigh of relief because you think, well, I'm not a teacher... It's important to note that not only is the definition of teacher in this context actually very broad, it would be inclusive of many roles today, including Sunday school, preaching, RI, small groups. But it's clear all throughout James, and particularly here, that this isn't to the exclusion of everyone else. If you're a follower of Jesus, longing to grow in the likeness of Jesus then the taming of the tongue is paramount. 
Verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Hear what James is saying. Not that there's this special group of people who do manage to be perfect in their speech, but that if you want to live a life that lines up with what you say you believe, that's what Christian maturity is, that's what James means by perfect here, maturity, then start with your words because your words will have a flow-on and a reverberating effect throughout your life. What we say, how we say it, and what we don't matters. James gives us three foundations, I think, to help tame the tongue, consider the effect, recognize the challenge, and remember the purpose. So first, tame the tongue by considering the effect. Would you have a look with me, verse 3 of chapter 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so long, so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. James's point in this pair of images of a horse's bit and a ship's rudder is clear. Small things can have a large and controlling effect. So the bit of a horse that has the metal piece inserted into the mouth and connected to the reins can enable the rider to take control of the power of the horse and direct it a particular way. Uh, the rudder of a ship, despite being so small compared to the vessel, well, that can enable the, the pilot, the captain, to control the power of the wind. Remember, there were no sort of fuel powered ships in those days, but it control the power of the wind to direct the ship wherever you want to go. The tongue not only is powerful, having a disproportionate effect to its size, only a few percent of our body mass, yet it controls so much of our lives, but when controlled in response to the forces within or the, in reaction to the forces external to us, can be directed and determining of our way for a purpose. We are the riders holding the reins. We are the captains steering the rudder. In grade five, primary school, I appeared on a really nerdy game show for kids called Now You See It. That footage is totally lost, just in case anyone's wondering about that. And I made it to the very final stage, but I missed out on the grand prize because I didn't know at that time that the thing that goes in the horse's mouth that's connected to the reins in order to control it is called a bit. And whilst I've been schooled in that now, some days, based on the harm I inflict, the unthinking words I blurt, or the good I withhold, You'd think I might know what a bit is, but I certainly don't appear to have the will to use it. And James says that's imperative because there is so much on the line. Verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, 
a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. In 2009, I was back en route to Australia, and I was uh, waiting in the airport in Singapore. And as I sat there watching the TV, the BBC were reporting on bushfires in Australia. And from the reporting and all the images that they were showing, it kind of sounded like the entire country was on fire, which I just assumed at the time must be an exaggeration because so often people underestimate just the scale and the vastness of our nation. But when I got on the flight and we finally crossed over the, the tip of Australia, uh, just crossing into the Northern Territory, when I looked out the window, I was totally astounded as I looked at the sky that was so eerily aglow with red. I was no longer able to distinguish between sky and land. The, the horizon just was blurred into all of that glow. And it was all because of the ferociousness of the fire that had been set ablaze and was burning, continuing to burn, right at the bottom of Australia, almost, sorry Tasmanians, right at the bottom of Australia in Victoria. I remember visiting Marysville two years later and being astounded at the, the, the lingering, devastating effects that you could see. James is saying that's the potential devastating effects of our words. A few words can set off a blaze that spreads and leaves its mark for years or even a lifetime. When James says the tongue is a world of evil among the parts of the body, he's not saying that the tongue is inherently or always evil. You might remember Proverbs 16 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. James is saying that when we intentionally use our words for harm or just fail to take control of our tongue, then actually what's going on is that we are letting the very force of hell set the world and our lives ablaze. When people heard the word hell here, Gehenna in the original language, they immediately, of course, would have thought of the, the reign of evil, of, of hell, but they would also had a, a word picture come to mind because Gehenna was not just a word, but also a place and in a ravine south of Jerusalem. Formerly, it had been a, a temple where human sacrifices were once offered. That's what used to stand there. And, and now it was a dump. It was a dump in which fires burned and stenches reeked continuously. Gehenna. Freedom to speak doesn't mean we always should. Freedom to speak isn't permission to speak as we please. Now, I think it's never been more important for us to hear the effect of our words and the responsibility that we must take. For whilst James wrote when ships were powered by wind, our words are now supercharged. We live in an age when our words have never been able to be spoken more rapidly retained more permanently and amplified more broadly for good or for bad. We must consider the effect. 
But we almost second recognize the challenge. Verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It really is quite mind-bending to see the tricks that some animals have been trained to do. But James, in effect, is saying, if you think you can tame the tongue as readily as teaching a dog to fetch, you're in for a big surprise. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. The first sin was humans not trusting God's word. The second sin was humans lying and blaming God for the disobedience. And of course, it's not just lying. We're not one-trick ponies when it comes to words. There's belittling, bullying, bragging, speaking behind people's backs, the list goes on, and that's not even covering the things that we don't say that we really should. There's times in our lives where we can feel really on top of it, only then to rapidly fall short when we're trying to impress or annoyed about something or someone getting in our way or feeling insecure about something in our lives or just generally tired or cranky. I'm sure you know the times, the places, or the conditions in which you know for you that's most likely to happen. Our tongues have an enormous effect. Yet humans, James says, are powerless on their own to tame it. Now, when you hear that, you think, well, does that mean we're off the hook? There's really no point at all. No human can tame it. No. It means that any honest assessment of our speech both what we've done and what we have the power to do will mean that we need to approach it humbly because we can't possibly do it on our own. It means that we not only need to ask for help, but that we also need to ask for forgiveness. I think it's really the most incredible news that each week as we're all dispersed on front lines all over Toowoomba and beyond those joining us online all over Australia, facing all sorts of situations, all sorts of pressures. God's entrusted us with this incredible power of the tongue, even in the knowledge that we so often misuse it in all sorts of ways. And we can ask for help from the one who has not only never misspoken, but has also given us his very spirit. No human can tame the tongue. So let's ask for help from the one who has given it to us. Might be the start of each day or when we arrive at a new place or as we enter into that conversation or before we blurt something out or type out a reply, pound it out on the keyboard or our phone or something like that, that we first just stop. We humbly ask for help in order to humbly speak. And if when you reflect on this challenge and you can think of or begin to recall words said, harm done, wounds left, fires lit, opportunities lost, friendships fractured, well, we should not only 
ask for forgiveness from the ones whom we've hurt, but we can go to the one who not only spoke everything into existence, but declared the work of forgiveness was finished on the cross. I also want to say to you today that if you're here and you really viscerally, you know that you carry the wounds of words, perhaps really horrible things that, that have been spoken to you or things that were never said that should have been said and they continue to pierce your heart, things that perhaps you've painfully carried for many years, I want to encourage you that when you go to Jesus for help, you are going to the one who not only has had every insult hurled on him, but who wants you to know the security and the permanency of his love. When we acknowledge the effect and recognise the challenge, we can humbly enter into his help. Final foundation. The final foundation to taming the tongue is to remember the purpose. Verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? So hear what James is saying, that the reason why we should bother, the reason why we should deploy our words in such a countercultural way is because our tongues are made for an ultimate purpose. That's to be lived out consistently. And James is saying that it's totally contradictory that one moment we'd praise God and the next we'd curse, by which he means that we would disregard someone being made in God's likeness by the way that we speak to them. He says, this should not be. It would be like finding a stream, a beautiful stream, and then bending down to it, filling your cup, and, and drinking this incredible fresh water that's flowing right from the Alps. Only to then, once you finish that drink, to bend down, to dip your cup into that very same stream. But this time, as you take a sip from that cup, it's full of putrid, tainted water. That's the image. Figs, trees should bear figs. Grapevines should bear grapes. God's people should bear words of life. Words characterized by wisdom, which James later describes as peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, fruitful, impartial, sincere. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that there still aren't hard conversations in life to have. Of course there are. Or that somehow we are all going to get this perfect. That's why we need to ask for help and for forgiveness. But James is inviting us, with all the power that's been entrusted to us with our tongues, right at our disposal, to orientate it for the very purpose of God. That's ultimately what praise is. We're orientating our words for God's purposes. It's really the most incredible purpose, and I think there's at least three dimensions of it. This is not another sneaky sermon, okay, with three points, but really briefly, there are at least three dimensions to that purpose. When we speak, we have the opportunity to anticipate new creation, participate in God's mission, and cooperate with the Spirit. 
So first, we anticipate new creation with our words. One of the most frequent images in the New Testament of new creation, when all things are set right, no longer any words that harm or hinder, one of the most common images is of God's people gathered around Jesus, using our words in praise of our King. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This doesn't mean that every time we speak, we need to break into song. Really don't think that's the best angle on all of our front lines. But it does mean that when we speak, we have the opportunity to speak in such a way that it's pointing to this future, which is yet to come. Second, we participate in God's mission. It's incredible in God's grace that even though, even though he knows our frailty, he's entrusted us with so much power. Every time we consider deploying our words, we're making a choice. We're making a choice to participate in God's mission to the world or use our words for the cause of evil. That doesn't mean that every time we use our words, we're going to give a mini-sermon. But we're mindful that with every word and how we utter it, we're representing Jesus. Third, we cooperate with the Spirit. Right at the beginning of the passage, James makes the point that control of our mouths is one of the keys to Christian maturity. God longs for us to be growing in the likeness of his Son. And our words, they're not only the, the barometer of our internal life in him, but it's one of the main ways in which we let either evil or the Spirit make his way in us. Words are plentiful, but they're not cheap. And when we deploy them, we are exercising the power to anticipate new creation, participate in God's mission, and cooperate with the Spirit. That's what we're doing. When I arrived at uni that day, and I unfurled words ever so foolishly, not only did I inflict harm on that person, but I also completely harmed my potential for gospel witness. I was the only Christian in that group. I was going to spend, I had the immense privilege of working alongside these people for an entire year. But what credibility did I have from that moment because of foolish words said? Were they kind? Were they necessary? Were they true? God's purpose was so far from my mind. When we're poised to type, when we're readying to speak, when we're responding to another, consider the effect, recognize the challenge, and remember the purpose. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Gracious Father, how we thank you so much that in your incredible kindness 
and grace. Even though you know our frailty, you know our patterns of, of using our tongues so unwisely. Yet, Lord, even in the knowledge of that in your kindness and grace, that you have gifted us so much power with our tongues. Lord, we pray that you would help us in the power of your spirit not to take that for granted. That we would see ever so clearly the effect of our words. Lord, we pray that as we recognise that, that, that we too also, in great humility, would recognise the challenge before us that we can't possibly do this on our own. And so, Lord, we are so sorry for the times in which we fall short in that. And we pray that you would help us in the way that we speak, in the words that we say, of the things that we should say but we really don't want to, and the things that we shouldn't say but yet so hastily can. Lord, please help us. Lord, I especially pray for anyone here today who really carries the scars and wounds of words. Lord, please, in your great love, may they know by the power of your spirit your kindness and your healing. And finally, we pray, Father, that this week and every week for our whole lives as we await Lord Jesus to return, that as we speak in whatever form, that we might be so mindful of the purposes for which you have given us a tongue. Lord, may every word be orientated to you in praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.